Hey, this is Empowerment Coach Ashley Baxter, host of the Courageous Word Podcast. However, this particular episode is for my old show, the Restoring Heart Podcast. Although I removed most of the 30 episodes from that show, there were seven that I could not part with, and this is one of them. You can feel free to listen to it or skip ahead until you get to the first episode of the Courageous Worth podcast, which is entitled Helping You Live with Courageous Worth. FYI, if you do continue to listen to this episode of my old podcast, know that my business has undergone many changes since then. So some things mentioned may no longer apply. For example, my social media handle and website names have changed. Today, you can find me on social media platforms at the Ashley Baxter, and my website is theashleybaxter.com. Okay, you're still here, so I'm guessing you're about to listen to this episode. This particular episode is one of four in a series I did on sexual trauma awareness. I'm a survivor of sexual assault, so this series was very important for me to make to help get this information out there. I highly encourage you to listen to the series. There's so much helpful education in it. So thanks for listening to this episode from my old show, as well as listening to episodes of my current show, The Courageous Worth Podcast. Welcome to the Restoring Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Baxter, and every Thursday, a new episode is posted to help you restore heart to your life and to the lives of those around you, because our hearts are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Hey guys, this is Ashley. Today's episode is the second one in this month's series to bring sexual assault and abuse awareness, because April is Awareness Month. This month is an interview with Crystal Sutherland. Crystal and I first met when we and several others gathered to put on a seminar on sexual trauma awareness in 2016. She is the author of the book called Journey to Heal, Seven Essential Steps of Recovery for Survivors of Childhood Sexual Abuse. She is also the founder and president of Journey to Heal Ministries. As you will soon hear, this nonprofit comes alongside survivors in so many ways. In this interview, Crystal also bravely and vulnerably shares her story of being a survivor of childhood abuse. If you are a survivor, then please take care of yourself when listening to this episode. Although Crystal doesn't go into the specifics, there may be aspects of her story that are triggering and too much for you. Know that at any time you can pause, skip ahead, or stop listening to the episode completely. Around minute 13 of this episode, is when she gets to the point of her story where she has moved out of the environment where abuse was occurring and into the safe environment of her biological father's house. So if you are a survivor who is worried about parts of her story being triggering, then minute 13 would be a great place to skip ahead to. Journey to Hill Ministries is a Christian-based nonprofit. However, I know this episode will be very impactful to all, regardless if your thoughts and beliefs align with theirs or not. And now, without any further ado, let's jump into the interview. I am here today with my friend, Crystal Sutherland. She is the founder and president of Journey to Heal Ministries. Crystal, can you just give us a snapshot of your life right now, what things you're doing, who you spend your time with, just to give the audience an idea of about a little bit about you? Absolutely. So I spend my days really in my home office a lot working on Journey to Heal. And we have a lot of things going on right now. And when I'm not in my office, I am sitting across the table of a survivor and mentoring her through my book or leading a group of women um, who are taking the Journey to Heal study, which is one of the programs we offer. I also have a beautiful family, my husband and my 16-year-old son. So my days are also filled with picking him up, my son from school and getting him over to track. So 
I'm doing that and uh, going to his track meets when I can. And um, I make dinner, do all the things. So my life is my life is really full. And you're also a talented artist. I just had to throw that in there. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So recently I got to participate in Art for All Nine down at the um, Brooklyn Arts Center, which is a really cool thing to do for people who are local to Wilmington or Leland or, you know, anywhere in these surrounding areas. And it's just the neatest things, like 50-some artists, you know, from all over the area come and just share their they're, you know, beautiful treasures and it's just, it's fun. And I love doing that. It's a great outlet. So yeah, I love, I love, I love the art piece. Oh, <laughs> I do. I do. I love it. And so thank you. Yeah. Well, and I know before Journey to Heal Ministries began, it really started with the book that you wrote, Journey to Heal. What led to you writing that book and what is the book about? Well, what led to me writing that book was really the struggle of my own journey of healing. You know, I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Um, I was sexually abused by my one, one of my stepfathers between the ages of 10 and almost 16. And, you know, I didn't know how badly that impacted me. I uh, really thought that I could get away from that family member and, you know, uh, never have to see him again. And somehow I could just push it all away and stuff it down and forget about it. And I would be all right, but that really doesn't work and didn't work for me. Um, and so, you know, the five years that I was five and a half years or so that I was being abused by him, it wasn't just the sexual abuse, um, that he perpetrated against me, but it was also just a home environment that was abusive, um, verbally and physically, and really kind of stemmed from my mom, who has her own story of abuse and never really sought out healing or maybe even had access to it, I don't know, to the kind of counseling and mentoring that she needed in order to address her story and, and work through it in order to heal. So unfortunately, she kind of perpetuated not meaning to, not intentionally, but perpetuated kind of a cycle of abuse in my life based on what she grew up with. And so, you know, my home from early on was very loud and unpredictable. And my mom really wasn't a safe person that I felt I could, that I would ever consider really going to, to tell something that was not going right, if that makes sense. I'm sure I did for different situations, but I didn't feel safe to tell her what her husband was doing to me because I really thought she would blame me and I thought I'd get in trouble for it and getting in trouble with her was scary. And so my mom and and my biological father, they were very young when they had me and uh, I was really an unplanned pregnancy, you know, and um, they got married because of me and lasted a couple of years and divorced and I ended up living with my mother and would see my um, father occasionally. And he's a very good man. And, and I know, you know, he tried to pursue custody of me and that just didn't work out. And um, so I would visit him usually during the summer. And, uh, and then there would be like birthday cards and Christmas cards and gifts and things like that and phone calls, but not a steady father figure in my life, if that makes sense. So when this man came into my mom's life, it was her third husband. When he came into her life, you know, I was about nine years old, maybe eight, nine years old, and he really genuinely seemed like a wonderful guy and seemed to really care about my mom, really care about me. And at the time, it was just the three of us. Um, And uh, he just, you know, uh, he came to my school um, activities. He provided for our family. I mean, he was like a father figure and never would have expected him to ever hurt me. But unfortunately, about about a year 
into his relationship with my mother. You know, it just it just happened that one night, unfortunately, my mom was eight months pregnant with my baby sister. And um, typical games that he and I would always play that were just innocent changed really fast one night and he abused me. And I remember telling him, I was in shock. I didn't know what he was doing. And I, I told him to please stop um, and, and how wrong it was and, and that I was going to go tell my mom. And she was upstairs asleep. And I remember him saying, don't do that. You're going to upset her. You'll upset her. Don't do that. And of course, that gave me visions of what that looks like when my mom's upset. And there was no way I was going to go tell her then. And then from that, and I, I begged him to never do it again. He promised he never would. But unfortunately, he ended up abusing me repeatedly over five years. And the next time that it happened, I from that point felt responsible because I didn't go tell my mom. So I lived with that sense of blame and guilt and taking part of the responsibility for what he did for most of my adult life. And as an adolescent, it led me to feeling very a low self, you know, low self-esteem, just all the things. And I uh, kind of felt like this is my lot in life then, I guess, you know, but then I met Jesus and I was 13 you know, prior to that, we were kind of creasters. We'd go to church Christmas and Easter sort of thing. And I didn't really know, you know, anything about God, not really. But reading the Bible for myself, I had a little, it was a little children's Bible that I got, must have got like early on, maybe when I was a little tiny girl. And um, I had that in my room and I started reading it. And I will never forget the first passage of scripture that stuck out to me and stayed with me was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I couldn't have been much older than 13. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And I needed that. I A, needed somebody I could trust, but B, I needed somebody to make my path straight because everything seemed so horrible and wrong and confusing. Unfortunately, even after giving my heart to Christ and even after starting to gain a sense of hope, I was still being abused, um, still lived in that abusive environment. Both it was verbal, physical and sexual abuse and fear and all the things while trying to navigate high school. <laughs> I was probably, I don't know, I was probably about 15 at the time. By this point, I'd already thought about suicide. I had thought about homicide. And I don't remember all the prayers. I just remember I was thinking there was going to be this big rescue. Somewhere along the line, it's all going to stop and he's going to rescue me. And the big rescue didn't come. But there were a lot of little rescues. And the little rescues led up to the big rescue. And the one of the little rescues, besides Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and other you know truths that I was learning about who God is and who I am, the other rescue was courage. God gave me courage. And I just started to see that not only is this wrong what he's doing to me, but I don't have to take it anymore. And it's okay to stand up and say no. And so that's what happened. I found the courage. I was about 15 and a half. And um, by this point, I had really started vocalizing, you better stop or I am going to not only am I tell mom, but I'm going to hurt you. And a situation occurred. He did get hurt. And um, I won't go into all that detail, but he did. And um, I had to explain the next day what the hurt was. I felt like God was saying, you need to tell your mom. And I wasn't scared anymore. I was at a point where I thought, what is the worst that she can do to me? It's already been done. I mean, I don't care anymore, you know. 
And so I told her. And unfortunately, the thing that I, that I was concerned about, the thing that kept me from saying anything to her did happen. She, she in a roundabout way, blamed me, and uh, which is unfortunate. It's what happens to a lot of victims of sexual violence. Um, and I could not, at 15 and a half, articulate to her exactly what he was doing or how long he had been doing it. And I was so scared anyway. I mean, I remember just shaking as I'm standing there trying to tell her. And so all I could really get out was, he hurt me. He's been hurting me. For a while, he's been touching me inappropriately. And I, and I don't think I even got all of all of that out, honestly. It just, it was a blur of, of he's been hurting me. And her response was, why have you waited so long to tell me? And maybe if you wouldn't have been wearing t-shirts and underwear to bed, things like that. And then she left for two days and left me there with my abuser and left me with my baby sister because she, she was scared. She didn't know what to do. And I know and understand that. I completely do. She came back and she said, you can you know, we can, we can send him away and your sister can go without a father like you have, or we can make this thing work. It's up to you. And what do you say to that at 15 and a half? So of course we all stayed together. And then as you can imagine, it felt very worthless and really didn't. Then at that point, I kept completely silent, did not tell anyone my story, um, felt like it didn't matter. And, uh, then I started like what a lot of you know, uh, survivors do or victims of abuse do. I started looking for acceptance, love and acceptance in the wrong places. And I ended up becoming a um, teen mom at 17 and a half, did horrible in school, all the things. But then God, he kind of showed up again and he was there all along, but showed up in a, in a kind of a rescuing way through my biological father. He came back into my life and um, through the course of just some visits and, and so forth and understanding and compassion, my dad didn't know my story, but he knew I needed help. And um, so he he encouraged me and motivated me to finish high school and finish strong and then go to college. And he helped me. He helped me do that to launch that new adventure in my life. And um, so as a single mom, I did. I put myself through and I really thought, okay. My, my, the trajectory of my life's going in the right direction now. I'm going to be okay. And it, on all this, I just, I don't have to, I don't have to be in that situation anymore. I left home about 17 and a half, not long after my, my older daughter was born. And I thought I can just completely get away from all this and it's all going to be okay. I don't have to think about it anymore. Then I met my husband of 25 years, Wes. We were college sweethearts and he knew. I did tell him that I was abused. I didn't go into detail, but he did know, and he knew who it was. Um, but I didn't think I needed to do any more than that. You know, I just didn't think, I had no idea how it impacted me. Not until my, not until our wedding night, actually. And something shifted and changed as soon as that ring went on my finger. And I felt very trapped. And that was probably my first clue. Something isn't right. And, um, but I have a very loving husband and he, he's just so understanding. And so, you know, that's kind of where it started for us. Then when I had my second child, my middle daughter, it really began to unfold for me. Um, and then by the time I had my third child, my son, um, it was, it was vivid how angry and damaged I was. Um, and it got to a point where the anger that I had been repressing and pushing back towards not just my abuser, but my mother too, 
Um, and just the whole situation, it felt so wrong and unfair. And watching my beautiful children grow up, I realized I would kill for them. And realizing that that wasn't what happened for me made me even more mad, you know. And uh, so that's kind of how it just started unfolding for me that I I needed to address my past. I didn't think I'd ever have to, but it was important if I ever hoped to be the kind of mom I wanted to be and the wife I wanted to be and the woman I wanted to be. So it came to a head and I and I ended up seeking help through a mentor at church. And she's the pastor's wife and as, as well as the music director. I was involved in the music program at my church. And, you know, she um, she was, I mean, wonderful in many ways because she was a strong woman and she she didn't like small talk. She cut straight to the chase of whatever the issue was. And I needed that, you know, because I could sure tell a long story about stuff that didn't matter, but she'd come right you know, to the heart. And so anyway, um, she was getting her life coaching license and she decided I was going to be her guinea pig for several weeks, you know, as she's trying to learn, you know, how to life coach. And I volunteered. I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. But in those weeks, we unpacked a whole lot of stuff. And one of the things we unpacked was my story, which I had never told an adult woman. And so I told her and she identified with some of the things I shared. And so that was good. She could relate with me. And I realized I wasn't alone on some things. And then she's the one who helped me. She said, Crystal, you have got to deal with this anger. And I can tell you this anger is stemming from the abuse and, and unresolved emotions around it and things that haven't been healed. She said, you need to get along with God. You need to get a journal. You need to start writing and you need to find out, learn all you can about the impact of sexual trauma. And so I did. I hope you're enjoying the interview so far. We are at a pivotal point of Crystal's story. As she mentioned, she was seeing a life coach at the time who happened to be able to relate to parts of her story. As survivors, meeting with people who get it, who understand, and have walked in our shoes is priceless. Just like Crystal's life coach was able to offer that to her, I am thankful that I get to offer that to survivors I life coach as well. If interested in having a life coach who knows what it is like to live life as a survivor, then I'd love to see if I can be that life coach for you. You can head over to restoringheart.com and click on the coaching link for more information. Whether my clients are survivors or not, I love helping people move past their fears to accomplish their goals for a more wholehearted life. Now, let's pick back up with Crystal's story. And how the book came about was really through that whole journey. Um, so I was 38 years old at the time, and I'll never forget, uh, after after a meeting with her, I went to Barnes & Noble, and I went into the Christian Living section, and I thought, I'm going to find anything that I can on healing from past sexual trauma. Well, there was not one single book on the Christian Living section about this topic, except for Joyce Meyer's book, Beauty for Ashes. So I bought that, and then I went over to the psychology section, and I bought anything and everything I could find. Some of the material that I you know, and, and I literally sat in the psychology section with my caramel macchiato, sat on the floor and all these books around me. Um, and I, I just went through several of them. Some of them were, were, were very insightful because I, I got out of them that, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. That there's other women that have stories like mine, but some of them were maybe insightful, but not redemptive. So like there wasn't the hope factor piece. It was just, here's my story. And it's just, I'm just there. 
And I don't know, I, that was great, but I really needed hope. I needed to know I'm going to heal from this. I'm going to be okay. And the anger is going to stop and I'm going to stop feeling and having these nightmares and feeling all these feels. And, um, so then I found Dan Allender's book, the wounded heart and some others and, um, and just started to read now in Dan Allender's book, I had never heard what sexual abuse was. I knew what my stepfather was doing to me was wrong. I knew how it made me feel and how wrong it made me made me feel, but I didn't know how wrong it was. I didn't know it was a crime. So I sat there in Barnes and Noble reading Dan Allender's description of sexual abuse, child sexual abuse and sexual assault. And I just cried. I sat there and cried because it was the first time, 38 years old, that I'm realizing this was a crime and it was wrong. That was the game changer for me because then I was like, oh, this is a thing. So then I had a just a ferocious appetite for learning all I could about the impact of sexual trauma and how do you heal from this and what do you need to do? And while I'm doing that, I'm also journaling. My mentor, you know, her name's Carolyn Stevenson. I'm just got to tell her name because she's a remarkable lady. But Carolyn had told me to write down what I was feeling, to try and write down my story and not so much the details of it, but what is hurting, what's the most toxic, what is haunting me. She told me, she's like, you've got to get it out of your head and onto paper. And I don't think she realized how true that was when she was saying it, but it's one of the most healing things I've ever done for myself. Um, and what I encourage other women to do as well. So I really, I filled up several journals, um, having conversations uh, with God, having conversations with myself, conversations with my mother in my journal and with my abuser, abusers, unfortunately, and really working through and sorting all the emotions. And that was really helpful. Um, and also working through and sorting out my story and kind of kind of forming a timeline of events and how it happened. And what that did is that helped me to see that he began grooming me almost as soon as he met my mom. And I didn't know what grooming, I didn't even know what grooming was until I started reading and getting educated about predators and sexual trauma and what all that, it just all started coming together. And it was like, oh my goodness. And then I remember um, through the course of all this, I'm also working through anger and I'm working through, I'm having to take as I'm learning that I'm not crazy, that these are real post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. I don't think I necessarily had the disorder, but I definitely had a lot of the symptoms. And realizing, oh my goodness, anger outbursts is one of those. Eating disorders is one of those. Um, nightmares and triggers and flashbacks, those are symptoms of this traumatic experience I went through. It helped me realize I'm not crazy. And that was wonderful because then I was able to help my under, my husband understand I'm not crazy. And then I was able to, to go, okay, I'm feeling angry right now. I'm feeling upset, um, but I don't have to take it out on my kids. I know where this is coming from. I can go get in a quiet room for a little bit and I can just calm myself down. I also realized I'd always slept with the light on. I'd always slept with a light on and a fan on because I couldn't sleep unless I, unless I could see and I couldn't rest if I could hear every little sound. And that's because the abuse would occur at night. So when I realized that, I mean, that was a couple years into my healing, I could stop sleeping with the light on, you yeah, know, yeah. it was such a great 
thing, you know? Um, and there were other things, you know, I, I realized that loud noises, I was hypersensitive to loud noises. They would make me angry. I started as I got more educated about abuse, not just sexual abuse, but physical and verbal and all the things. I started making the connection that no wonder I don't like loud noises because that's all I heard. Loud noises, screaming always meant there was going to be some kind of hurt that was going to happen very shortly after because my mom was very loud. She'd have these anger outbursts. And I perpetuated that. That's how I parented too for a long while until I realized that isn't me. That's not my personality. That's a symptom of a bigger problem. All that said, from 38 till probably about 40, you know, somewhere between 40 and 41, I was on this very intentional journey. And it, it around towards the end of that, you know, God had taken me through a lot of things that are just straight out of his word. And that is the importance of facing the truth. You know, James 8.32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And of course, he's talking about him. He's talking about the gospel, but it applies to everything. And so when I acknowledged and faced my story and all the pieces and parts of it, it really helped me to put it to rest. And, um, And another important is sharing your story. I realized how important it was to talk about it, not to hold it in, but to find a safe person that I could share and unpack it with and someone who would be patient and let me unpack it over time. Um, Because the first time I shared it, all I did was cry. I couldn't even articulate. It just, I just bawled and cried. It took, it took a few times to unpack it all. And writing it down really helped me do that. It helped me sort through and, and be able to articulate everything. And then working through unresolved feelings of anger and resentment and bitterness, you know, and really processing that. And one of the things that I learned to do was to write an anger letter, um, to, to let myself vent in the form of a letter, um, whether I was going to ever send it or not. Now, I knew in my heart I probably was. But in the course of working through all of that, I realized I was not as angry with my actual aggressive abuser, my, my stepfather. I was angry with my mother and the betrayal and just all the things, her response, her lack of of response, all the things. And that's really where the sore spot was. And so working through that, processing that, and eventually telling her, you know, it was so healing. And I had no idea how healing it would be to finally get past that anger. But it actually healed a lot of things, Ashley. It healed, I'm just going to be honest, it healed my sexuality. It was like, I had no idea how bad that, that anger had a hold on me in so many ways. But um, man, that was, that was the best thing I could have done for myself was work through that and release it in a healthy way. And I did. And, and being able to stand up for myself and just speak truth yeah. um, and not live with this big elephant in the room. It was wonderful. Best thing, best thing. And then that helped me get to another important step and stage that, that, that I learned through just my relationship with Christ. And that is the importance of forgiveness, not for my abusers or my perpetrators, but for me, it completely releases me and released me of the emotional hold that these folks had on me. Just in the whole situation, I was free and being able to see them in a different light as, as they're part of God's creation too. God loves him too, just like he loves me. And it was just a, I know that sounds crazy probably to someone who's not there yet, but it truly was the best thing I could have done for myself and my own journey of healing. Now it didn't let, it doesn't let them off the hook. They, I can't, I don't have the power to do that. None of us have the power to do that. There's still consequences. We can't, we may never even get to see all that played out, 
but it's, I mean, we can't change it. It is just like it is for us when we do things that are hurtful to others. But then the other piece was discovering my identity. Once I worked through a lot of these things, I spent a lot of time figuring out who God is and who I am in him. And that was also a game changer, realizing it doesn't matter what happened to me. And it doesn't matter. It matters. I don't mean to minimize, but that doesn't define me. The abuse, the being an unplanned pregnancy, having divorced parents, moving 11 times before I reached, uh, you know, eighth grade. I mean, just all the things that does not define who I am. Who I am is defined by truly my relationship that I have in Jesus Christ. And that was huge for me because it, it then reinforced for me my true value and worth. It's not tied to what I can do, my performance or who I am, any of that other than it's tied to who God is. And then the final piece, the biggest piece was the intimacy piece I had to work through. And by the time I got to that point, and I wasn't even, I mean, I was stumbling in the dark, literally, this stuff was happening just kind of a in the course of life, day-to-day life. I had no plan of writing a book or anything. I think in my mind, I thought, you know, I do, I want to help other people. I want to help other women not have to stumble in the dark like I did. I do want to write something. I want to, you know, whether it's a book, a Bible study, I don't know, but I want to help other women get through this a lot quicker than I have and, um, and to provide support. But I didn't know what that looked like. But I reached a place where I distinctly felt like God was saying, okay, now I want you to write this down. I want you to take this process that you've been through and I want you to write it down for someone else. So the first thing that I did was I wrote a Bible study. I knew when I was writing the Bible study, the Lord was saying it needs to be a book, but I'm very hard-headed. And I was like, that just seems big and scary. I don't know about that. So I wrote the Bible study. I led the Bible study, one woman, and then it was that woman told someone else. And I was mentoring, I'm not kidding, Ashley, I think at one point, 12 women simultaneously through this study. And the Lord was like, showing me over and over. This has got to be a book. You've got to be able to hand this. There's no way you can do this <laughs> with what I have in, you know, in <laughs> mind. You, you know. So I was like, okay, I've got to write a book. And so it's funny, it's funny how things work. I put it off. I put it off mainly because of my own fear and sense of inadequacy. I'd never written anything. I was always horrible in English. That was like my worst most horrible <laughs> class ever in high school and college. Oh so I was mortified by the idea of writing one. And I was so busy too. I mean, I was a stay-at-home mom. I was a homeschool mom. And I volunteered at church a lot. Well, it's kind of funny, but God has a real good sense of humor. And when he wants you to do something, he'll help you do it. <laughs> so long and short of it is, he helped to clear my schedule for me. We ended up moving to a house that we were remodeling. And right after the move, I got very sick. And I could literally, Ashley, do nothing else but sit and write. (laughs) And so that is what happened. I sat and I wrote the first three chapters of Journey to Heal and went to the She Speaks conference by Proverbs 31 Women, presented my book to five different publishers. And two months later, one of them took it, which is, I mean, completely amazing. And so it just, that's, that's kind of how it launched. That's kind of how it happened. Now I remember in the process of finishing the writing of the book and the whole edit process and everything, it was an 18 month process from that point of contract with Kriegel Publications, who's my publisher. I remember just overwhelming sense, overwhelming fears and a sense of inadequacy and a sense that no one's going to read this book. What am I doing? 
you know, nobody knows me. I'm a nobody. And there, nobody's going to read this book. And so out of just, I don't know, all of that, I just began to really ask God, you know, you're, I feel like you're the one telling me to do this and I'm scared. And if, can you just, even if one person, I'll finish it. If just one woman reads this thing and gets some help because I know how alone I felt in my journey. So if I can just help one, I'll be okay with it. It's good. It's worth it. It's worth it for the one. I mean, it's gone above and beyond that. So the book released actually April 27th of uh, 2016, which ironically, April 27th is the same day of our first annual hope run at Journey Hill Ministries. So the book released in bookstores and I had a lady helping me launch the book and she had several ladies helping me launch the book. And she said, "Are you? what about leading a, a study? Have you thought about leading a study? That seems scary. <laughs> uh, I thought the book was scary. But I've, again, just this inadequacy, you know, sense of I'm not a licensed counselor. What am I going to, you know? But it started making sense to me. I'm taking women through this very arduous journey. Um, and the first several weeks of it, the first several chapters are digging and, and uh, into your story and, and really getting you to think about things and address things. And I don't want anyone to do that alone. So I was like, okay, I think I can do an online study. So I researched that and I launched an online study right around the time the book um, itself launched. 51 women from across the world, mainly in the U.S., but in different parts of the UK, United Kingdom. So Scotland, and um, there was one in Ireland, and there's one in, in um, England, and then different parts of the US. And I was like, what? And then, and then, so I took them through the first, you know, on, online study, seven weeks. I've done, I think, nine online studies since. And those first women were the ones who really started this community of women that now is called Journey to Heal Ministries. And those women, so they, they went through and they supported each other and they didn't even know each other, you know, never had met, but they had, they had really been in the trenches with each other, taking this study week after week and praying for one another and coming on our little private Facebook group, which is how I, you know, managed the study and, and just writing posts and encouraging and reaching out to each other, you know, in private messages and all this stuff. And then they asked me, they said, well, Crystal, we want to see each other. Will you host a retreat? I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, you know, when is it going to end? Is the book <laughs> and it's the study and now a retreat. <laughs> and everything was taking me out of my comfort zone one minute to the next. And it was all happening so fast. So while this is happening, another layer is happening. And that is an organization that partners with my publisher in overseas ministries and, and working with missionaries and providing resources for discipleship and just different things. They reached out or they found, uh, somehow found out about my book and they reached out to my publisher and said, oh, we want this in Spanish. How can we, how can we meet with Crystal? So anyway, while this online study is going on, they're coming in uh, the, both the head of this this um, organization, which I'm not at, unfortunately at liberty to to say who it is, just for their protection. But the head of this organization, and then my publisher, the Spanish um, department of my publisher, they came, spent a couple of days with me, and we mapped out a Spanish edition of my book. They wanted me to do. This is also like so amazing. Like what? They wanted me to illustrate it. 
again, I'm not an illustrator. I'm an abstract artist and I just dabble like I'll just every now and then do something and then there it is. But they wanted me to illustrate 30 illustrations. Of course, I said, yes, that's amazing. That's awesome. Okay. And that was an adventure. And then they wanted this book to be written in a way a little bit different from the adult version. They want it to be written for 12 to 20-year-olds in Latin America, Guatemala, Nicaragua, primarily Colombia, because and, and to speak to verbal, sexual, and physical abuse, because 60%, 60% of the young people there have been or are being sexually or physically abused. It's such a problem, especially in the more impoverished areas. And so they needed some kind of resource to take these young, you know, these adolescents and, and young adults through. So, so while this is all happening, I get asked to do this retreat. And that's how I launched the first Hope Restored Women's Conference. And um, we're now doing our fourth one this year. And what's amazing about this thing is, is the first one, 15 of those 50 women came um, made their way to Wilmington, North Carolina. We were at the Blockade Runner on Wrightsville Beach. And um, they got to hug each other's necks and they got to see each other in person. And it was a beautiful, amazing thing. Um, several of them are still, you know, very close on social media and, and stay very connected with each other. And then what's also remarkable is I did it again the next year. I do the same thing. I always like, God, do you want me to do this again? Is this the right thing to do? And so I did it again the next year, and several of those same first ladies came back again and came back again last year, their third year. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, but it's just a neat little community, you know, that's evolved. And and then, of course, you and I got to do the sexual trauma seminar together that same year. And out of that launched the face-to-face groups. So this is just kind of, this ministry has just evolved and it has, it reached a point, this would have been late 2017, that I had already had the inkling that I need to go nonprofit. It started becoming apparent that this, if this is going to grow, if we're going to reach more women, I can't do this by myself. And not even that I was, there were other women that were wanting to help. There were other women, you know, helping with like the Hope Restored Women's Conference, things like that. But if it was going to, anything else is going to happen, is this going to have to be a nonprofit? And my husband, Wes, was really encouraging me. He's like, you, you really need to do this. I kicked against that because, and really just that seemed overwhelming and scary. All of it has seemed overwhelming and scary. And so I prayed about it. I really prayed about it. And I really thought about it and I mapped it out and I journaled about it. And I just did a lot of things. I talked about it a lot until finally it just became apparent. I ended up inviting several people to join me in this, um, to be on the founding board. I got six people who said yes. And so we started this thing February. February 24th actually was our first interest meeting for the board. And we became, um, filed our articles of incorporation in May. And we became a 501c3 nonprofit in July. And I mean, Ashley, it has been crazy ever since. The way we're growing, the opportunities and the doors that are being opened for us and the and the conversations we're getting invited into. And um, we have, uh, so most recently, uh, last year, 2018, one of the first things that we did as a board was we um, began to work on packaging a training to help other women who were ready to come alongside other survivors. So, so peer to peer, you know, uh, mentoring, we developed a training to equip them to do that because a lot of the women that were coming out of my groups, um, whether online or face to face were saying, Hey, 
I think I need to do this. I think I feel compelled to do this. I want to, I want to start a group like this in my community. And so we needed to equip them for that. So we did this year, we tweaked it and we put it on video. So we have three uh, video sessions that cover the training. And then we do a live training event that invites everyone in. So last year we trained six mentors this year. um, Just most recently we trained 14 and whether they're all going to be active mentors or not, they're equipped, you know, uh, to lead other people through this study. And so it's just powerful. It's a, it's amazing, um, to see the growth and, and that when you take that leap and you, that leap, really that leap of faith and you just do, um, what you know is right and what you feel called to do, that's where we are now. We're just trucking along. I love it. I love it. I show that you're making such a difference in so many people's lives and helping free so much of that up. Can you share a little more about the global impact? You know, you highlighted a little bit already with the Spanish translation. What is more of what that's looking like? Yes. So um, the feedback that we've gotten since the launch of the Spanish edition, which is called Viaje a la Sanación, and it released in Latin America February of last year, 100,000 copies. And they were dispersed to missionaries and churches, pastors, and also educators in Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Colombia to provide and that, that, well, that are a part of an after, kind of an after school program, like a, like a youth program slash, you know, kind of after school. So it's different for each of the missionaries or the churches that are involved. But what they wanted to do with this book is they wanted to spread it out over a 14 week kind of after school program where um, they were able to kind of take children through and adolescents through the concepts covered and um, incorporate some exercises and dif- different things that the that the kids could do um, to help unpack their own stories and deal with their own emotions and things maybe that they're going through most likely in their own home, you know, at this time. But before they were going to do that, they wanted to first train the people who would be doing this. And that's what has been amazing is they started training these pastors and they invited the pastor's wives into that space to take, to take this study first before they lead it with the kids. And so they did that with some of the educators. They did that with um, some of the missionaries. And then, of course, the churches that were involved, the pastors and their wives. And the feedback that I got from that last year and still getting this year is how many of the women and even men who are going to be leading this study with the children have been sexually abused and how just the process of being able to address it and understand what happened to them was a crime and that it's not their fault and, you know, all these things, how healing it has been for them. And uh, I actually just got an email recently from uh, uh, the partner that's involved in having commissioned this work. She emailed me recently and she said, this is still going on. They're, they're, they are still working through, you know, different parts of each of these countries. They're still taking the leaders through the book in many ways and healing is still taking place as they are putting on these classes for the kids. So, you know, the impact is life-changing in on many levels both for the caregivers and those that are being cared for. And hopefully, I mean, it'll be it'll cause a cultural change. That's what awareness leads to. It leads to prevention and it and it changes the culture. That's what I'm hoping. 
And speaking of awareness, you guys have just launched the End 1 in 10 campaign. Can you share what that's about? Yes. So the End 1 in 10 campaign is really to raise awareness concerning the prevalence and impact um, of sexual violence, particularly child sexual abuse, and the hope for healing. So one in 10, statistically one in 10 children in America will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18 based on reported cases. And one in three women already have. And the the other unfortunate statistic is that every 98 seconds, someone in America has been sexually assaulted. And these are just based on reported cases. And not only has every 98 seconds someone been sexually assaulted, but every 10 minutes that someone is a child. So the N1 and 10 campaign is really about giving people an opportunity, everyday people, mothers, fathers, grandparents, community leaders, educators, soccer coaches, uh, you know, just everyday people, youth pastors, equipping them with the tools they need to have these conversations ongoing, not just during the month of April, which is Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month, and also Child Abuse Awareness and Prevention Month, but, but, but to have these conversations ongoing. So the key about the campaign is to get educated on the issue. We have a t-shirt basically that we, uh, it's called, it's, it just says we can end one in 10. And that t-shirt is really just a, a means, like a catalyst for conversation. So we are encouraging people to buy the t-shirt and go on our website and they can do that. Um, we have coffee mugs and buttons and other things too, but we encourage them to buy the shirt when they do that and they get educated to just wear that shirt. And every time they can just have the conversation. You know, we had a lady recently um, that is a part of our N1 in 10 campaign committee and she, she had agreed to taking a picture you know, of herself in the shirt and uh, posting it, you know, she's trying to help us, you know, raise awareness. And so she shared that um, she, she did that one morning and last week and her kids wanted to know, you know, they helped her take the picture and then they were in the car to get ready to head on to school one morning. And the kids were asking her, what does the shirt mean, mom? And it gave her the opportunity to have a very needed conversation with her kids, age appropriate, but very needed. And they were very inquisitive and wanted to know more. And um, she said it was scary. It was awkward, but I had it. And so the ice is broken. She can have those conversations again. It doesn't have to be a taboo subject. And that's really what the campaign's about. It's just trying to get people to start having this conversation because it is an epidemic. And I do believe that as we raise awareness, that will lead to prevention and and we can end one in 10. We can, we won't, we, we unfortunately are not going to abolish child sexual abuse in our culture, but we can end this horrible statistic. We can drastically reduce this horrible statistic that really, honestly, it's immeasurable, I believe, what the real numbers are. So, so that's really what the campaign's about. It's about raising awareness. It's about equipping people to have the conversations. And so if they go to our website, which is um, journeytohealministries.org forward slash end one in 10, and that's E-N-D one I-N and the number 10. If they go there, they'll find a lot of information. They'll be able to watch a video that kind of highlights uh, the campaign itself um, and explains it. They'll be able to order, you know, shop our campaign shop and with, you know, like I say, coffee mugs and buttons and t-shirts um, to help start the conversation. But they'll also find resources. The Mama Bear Effect 
is one in particular that I am so grateful for because the Mama Bear Effect is an organization, nonprofit organization, that equips parents and caregivers of children, of course, on how to have body safety conversations, how to empower children to be able to say no to predators um, and to recognize a predator and to, and to be able to say, no, that's this is my body, and to know what abuse is in an age-appropriate way so that they understand the difference between you know, a healthy relationship and something that's mm-hmm. very not healthy. And it, you know, and then there's a there's another book actually that's um, a part of that, and it's about um, good pictures and bad pictures, helping children understand what pornography is and why they you know they a don't have to look at it if someone's showing it to them, and to be able to find a safe person to talk to if they're being influenced in that way. It's just important. It's important. We have to, we've got to stop. We have to change the culture. And it, and it really does start in our own families. It, it starts, yes, organizations like ourselves and others, the Mama Bear Effect and Rape and Incest National Network and Darkness to Light. These are awesome organizations that do equip and give remarkable information and resources. But it comes down to you and me. It comes down to mothers and fathers being willing to be open about this in their own homes starts with our children and it goes out from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then there's also the run that's on the 27th of April. So people living in the Wilmington area or willing to drive to the Wilmington area can be part of that. We're doing this to raise awareness and not only to raise awareness to the issue of, of the, just the magnitude of this problem, but to do it in solidarity and support of the many, many, many men and women who have been through this, who are survivors of any kind of sexual abuse, whether it's childhood or in adulthood or, you know, human trafficking, whatever. And then also to raise needed support for our organization, because we are a hundred percent volunteer run uh, 501c3 nonprofit. Our various programs are providing helpful resources, um, Christ-centered resources, really, and providing biblical mentoring and that's peer-to-peer mentoring because we're not, we are not licensed counselors. And then to provide also the Journey to Heal support groups. And these support groups take women through my book, Journey to Heal, and the seven you know, steps that I cover in that book. And then also to provide the awareness programs that we do, trying to raise awareness, not just in our co- local community here in Wilmington, but globally. We're still growing in that and learning and navigating, but that's our heart because we really do believe awareness leads to prevention. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then people can go to journeytohealministries.org to also sign up for your newsletter. So if they are interested in groups and the retreat and just also just seeing all the amazing things y'all are doing. Yes. Yes. And we would love for them to do that. The next Hope Restored Women's Conference, which the Hope Restored Women's Conference really is for any woman who has been through any hard thing. Um, So not just for survivors of sexual abuse. We've had women who are recovering from cancer come to that, women who are struggling, uh, you know, and either going through a divorce or have been through just all over the gamut. Women who have endured uh, domestic violence situations, you know, uh, women recovering from addictions, all kinds of things. But the Hope Restored Women's Conference this year is taking place November 1st through the 3rd at the Doubletree uh, Resort, Oceanfront Resort in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And uh, actually, we're, we're putting out Save the Dates uh, here uh, th- during this week, and that will run up until May 1st, and then registration will open May 1st. Excited. Very excited. Well, that's great. I love it. If someone is listening who's a survivor of child sexual abuse and has never taken steps to process their past, what would you say to them? I think the number one most important thing 
that they could do is to find a safe person to talk to about their story and unpack it. Um, just just to talk about it. But but safe people are going to be people who are trauma informed. Um, so sometimes our best friends they're not the right safe people to go to to talk about you know a history of child sexual abuse. Um, but maybe maybe a pastor who's trauma informed. Maybe perhaps maybe a mentor someone that you're aware of or a life coach, someone that, that, you know, has experience in that area. And, and of course us at journey to heal, you know, they can, we, we have a section if they go to journey to heal ministries.org and go to programs and we have on their biblical mentoring and they can simply reach out to us. They can see what that is. We list it out there and describe what that means and they can, and they can reach out to us and we will have one of our mentors um, reach back and start the conversation. And, and, uh, you know, the ladies that sign up to do journey to heal mentoring, they know they get it because they have been through it and they are still in to some degree on their healing journey, but they have found hope and healing and, um, and, and want very much to help someone else find the same. Thank you so much for being on this episode. I know this has been helpful to so many people and I just love everything that you guys are doing and just how it's grown in all the beautiful ways. And I just can't wait to see, I mean, that's just been a few short years yeah. <laughs> since Journey Hill started. So I can't yeah. imagine how things are going to continue to grow and all the people you're going to help through the years. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been delightful. Absolutely. That wraps up the impactful interview with Crystal Sutherland. If you're a survivor who has never dealt with being sexually abused and something inside you while listening to this interview was telling you to check out Journey to Heal, I encourage you to do so. They are an amazing group with so many amazing people just wanting to help you. You can go to journeytohealministries.org to find out more. Thank you for listening in for this episode. Next week, we'll continue awareness in a very important interview with the head of a child advocacy organization that helps children who have been abused. We had several great discussions when recording that interview about conversations we need to have with children, as well as things we as adults need to pay attention to and efforts to diminish the number of sexual abuse occurrences. It is a great interview with a lot of actionable information. I hope you will tune in. As always, until next week, I hope you will do something restoring in your life and the life of someone you know. 